Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Welcome to Script Shop, everyone. My name is Jack. My name is Jack. Well, no, you can't. You My can't. name's Allison. You're ruining it. Welcome to Script Shop. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for and listening. And tonight. And tonight we have our guest. Uh, our guest is Adelina Perez. Adelina Perez. Adi. Elena. There you go. Yeah, there's Adi Elena. The, it's it's a, beautiful. There, there's a diphthong in there. Adi Elena. Adi Elena Perez. She's written a script for us called Not That Nice. Yeah. I'm really excited about this script. There's a lot of like subtle, huge topics mm-hmm. in this script. There's a lot of content in the 11 page, what I call an easy drama short. Something that looks like one thing, but is actually something much, much deeper. As you may have gathered, this is Script Shop. This is our podcast where we talk to screenwriters about their scripts. We're lucky enough to have them on. We're lucky enough to have them send us their stuff. And uh, then we talk to them about it and their lives and everything that's gone into this these pages that they've written. The enormous depth of artists come out on the show. Mm. We get into mining what this means to them. <laughs> and this is the place where we preserve their uh, their stories for all of podcastian time. Yes. It's very exciting. If you would like to have your story recorded for all of podcastian time, you can submit it to us by going on to filmfreeway.com or checking us out on scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Yes, and if you love what we're doing on there, get online because, well, I guess continue online because yes. on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we post all kinds of fun Wednesday release videos, which are hilarious from Frank and Jack. I love them so much. <laughs> and uh, we're also on Twist Twister. <laughs> That's not the right internet thing. We're also on Twitter. Um, we have at Script Shop Show as well as I'm at Your Bestie Westie. And uh, I'm at Script Shop Jack. And this is a pretty frankless job here. Because we don't we don't have our, our, our third wheel. I can't call him that. That's a terrible title for him. The third wheel? Our producer, Frank, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, is unable to be with us. He's going to text and say, Jack's fired. <laughs> right. You just called me the third wheel. <laughs> Sorry, Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he wasn't able to be with us before, so we're, we're on a bit of a Frankless streak here, which is a shame, mm-hmm. and we'd like to get Frank back as quick as we can. Let's start that. Bring back Frank. Frank. Okay. Bring, Bring back, back Frank. Frank. Bring, Bring back Frank. Frank. Also, if you do have work that you have uh, written and you heard us give the plug about websites and ways to get it to us, are we still doing this thing where if people put a, like, to get our attention quicker, if yeah, they... Yeah, if you put hot burrito... I'm not comfortable saying this. I'm not comfortable Just try it once. It's really fun. I don't want to say it. Why? I don't. It's creepy to You're me. You're the one that brought it up initially. I know, and I, I, I hate myself for it. <laughs> because I latched on it, too, yes. and won't let it go. Uh, yeah, so I guess we're keeping this going. If you, like, hashtag tweeted us or whatever and say, and hashtag it with hot burrito, we'll give Put you... your script to the front of the reading line. Quicker consideration. Yes, and uh, we'll, we may change that later if Jack says something else awful. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I feel like this is punishment for me. But it was such a good story you talked about. <laughs> yeah. So if God could microwave a burrito. Uh, yes. and It was too hot for him to eat. Yep. You know. There we go. Well, there we hot are. burrito. 
Um, okay, patreon.com if you want to send us some bucks. Go yes. on there and do that for us, please. And thank you. And coming up, the Sindependent Film Festival, August. We've we talked about it for a little bit now, and you need to know about it and maybe do something about the knowledge that we're about to put into your head. Yeah, August 2324-25-2018 at the Woodward Theater in Cincinnati, Ohio. It is a three-day film festival with lots of cool enrichment activities for filmmakers and industry-type people, as well as community members. So get online, buy that VIP pass or day pass, and we will see you there. Yes, please. You should seriously come to Cincinnati for this. It's going to be uh, killer time. Yes. In terms so. of talking about travel and yes. people who are going Ooh. places, oh. uh, we uh, we should probably go to our guest who is in the middle of going someplace right now. Uh oh, did we? Adi Elena, are you there? Hi guys. There Yay. she is. <laughs> Adi Elena, where are you calling us from right now? Uh, I am somewhere in between uh, New York and Washington D.C. It might be New Jersey. It mm-hmm. might be Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure. Mm-hmm. Are you are you driving? I'm, I'm uh, sorry. Are you driving? No. I, well, I'm on a bus with about a, another forty five people or so. <laughs> uh, so this is very exciting. Mm. Mm. Are you sitting directly next to any of those forty five people right now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I'm gonna just send like a universal thank you to that person for being for being <laughs> cool super cool this, for what's going on. This, yeah, and I think he has soundproof headphones. Oh, oh, perfect. Okay, good. That's even better. Yeah, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy bus life. Yeah. To give us a call here, I'm sure this is potentially very awkward. Can I ask why you're on the bus headed to DC? Yeah. Um. I actually I had a meeting in DC. Uh, bunch of things actually it was my birthday uh so i went back home <gasps> from new york happy birthday and i thank you um so some friends wanted to have a dinner so i went to do that but coupled with that i had a meeting with uh, this director that i'm working with i'm editing his short documentary about the kind of subculture of the lgbtq community in mexico city and uh, we were supposed to be wrapped with our meeting uh, by about two o'clock but we got so excited and i ended up having to catch a later bus Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So, but you're so you're you're kind of a victim of circumstance, but it's 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 good circumstance if everybody hit it off really well. Yeah, it's really good circumstance. I was really happy. Everyone's just walking away from that very happy so far. Do you do a lot of editing as well? Yeah. So my uh, my the last sort of seven years of my life, with the exception of one in the middle, uh, I've been editing professionally, um, commercials or. In Mexico, um, as well as documentaries, and short films, and that's been kind of the bread and butter. And I would say it was my passion for a long time as well. So editing is the bread and butter, and then that sort of lets you flex in terms of being able to write. Uh, how how much writing? Uh, how long has writing been a thing for you in addition to editing? It's actually a fairly new process uh, experience for me. I um, I went back to grad school. I, uh, 2014, yeah, 2014, and uh, I, um, so really since then, I went back to grad school for screenwriting, Um, and I really didn't take it, I didn't really allow myself to be very vulnerable during, while I was at grad school, and so it's only really the last year or so that I've pushed myself to to call myself a writer, to be a writer, to write almost daily, so that's, I would say maybe a solid year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Well, where did this switch come from, from one thing to another thing, and the one thing being screenwriting? What, what happened that made you switch focus? Well, I think that um, I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a child. I was, I really loved writing stories and poems. And my first, the first person that encouraged me to write poems was um, uh, my fifth grade teacher in California. Um, and he gave me a little notebook and said, you really want to write more. And so um, from then, I just, for a long time, I thought I would be a writer, but I didn't know how. Um, and then it really was a matter of circumstance uh, where I had to become an editor uh, later on down the road. Just to, It was the easiest thing to learn, and it was the place where I had to put the least of my emotions and uh, myself at stake um, to be an editor for other people's work. And then when I, I was editing in Mexico City, I was living there uh, after, after undergrad, uh, 2010, and I was doing pretty well, and my dad had to have a surgery back home in New York, and my dad is a karate instructor. Uh-huh. And uh, so I had to come back to help him with mm-hmm. his karate school, and I thought this is coming back home made me realize that I, I really wanted to tell certain stories about my life, about the people around me. So when you went back home to help your dad... Um, I can see that this is super important, that you're going back home to help him with his karate school, that once again, you're back a part of that life. And do you think it was maybe seeing him struggle, I'm I'm assuming physically, because he went through surgery, but kind of like seeing him not as you might have remembered him that made you want to like really cement his legacy for you and the, what you, these, these ideas you have about him for all of time. Do you think it was kind of something like that that made this happen? You know, that's, that's really interesting, and I think it, there's a lot of a lot of truth to that um, in the sense that I, my dad has always been the person who has encouraged me the most to, to really follow my creativity, and he's always supported everything I, I've done. And I think he was, um, even though he was happy that I was helping him at the karate school, he constantly was sending me emails about different film festivals, different mm. uh, programs and writing programs, and he was just pushing me a lot. Um, and I realized that I had let go of my, my dream to be a writer. I, I did feel like I, I really wanted to um, just show my dad that he wasn't wrong, <laughs> that, he, you know, that, that everything that he was teaching me along the way was valid and um, and so I felt like it was something that I like I, for example he he made me promise that if I ever go to the Oscars that he'll be my date yes oh, of course. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, even though I have a husband he's like no me <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think uh, the fact that he was the one who really pushed me no matter what to, to follow my dreams I felt like going back home even though he was happy to have me there he really didn't want me to stay there and comfortable um that he was kind of pushing me out the door and so you know what this is true this is what i need to be doing yeah he kind of sees what your heartbeat or i guess he hears your heartbeat and he wants you to follow those dreams yeah how do you feel like it's gone so far well it's been a pretty bumpy road um all of grad school i think i just kind of uh fumbled that i i really didn't i i worked on a lot of great films with my my classmates and I got to work on really exciting films, sci-fi and 
um, really wonderful stories. But when it came to my own film, I, I didn't know how to, to trust a, a crew. I didn't know how to trust people with my story. I, I wasn't good at taking feedback and, and listening to critiques. Um, and I was just really scared of being vulnerable and writing the truth. And so I, I wrote this kind of metaphorical story about a, a balloon going through an existential crisis. That sounds uh, interesting. I thought it was really adorable, but it, it didn't, it wasn't, um, I didn't know how to speak plainly and say the things that I wanted to say. Yeah. And it wasn't until I left and um, my husband got a job in, in Washington, D.C., uh, and he works in immigration, um, that I, I realized I had a chance during that move to start telling stories and being more honest. Um, so it, it's been pretty new to open myself up more and, and tell stories that are more difficult for me. Um, so it's been a little bit tricky, but I'm excited now. I feel like I'm in the right direction. I'm starting to hit a, a stride. Yeah, a little more freeing, I imagine. Yeah, it's incredible. Where does this script rank for you as far as being honest about things and, and, and sort of maybe showing a little more of yourself? Well, this is my first real attempt at that. I wrote the script last year mm-hmm. when my cat actually ran away. Oh. And uh, we ended up finding him a, a week or so later. But uh, I I was simultaneously working at the karate school still, and I was teaching classes with children. And I and I was getting better at communicating with kids. And I realized it, it sort of forced me to think back on my own childhood. And um, it put me in touch with the voice of a child and my own voice as a child because I, I always felt like a really lonely kid. And I've never known how to express that to my family without making them feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And so this clip was the first time that I was willing to um, let myself uh, just be and not worry if, if anyone, if my family was going to think that I was crit- criticizing them somehow. Um, so this is actually the very first time. And since, since the script, uh, which is about a year, a little less than a year now that I wrote it, um, I've, I've written more things and it's like a little bit deeper, gone into slightly darker realms. <laughs> and it's been, yeah, like you said, incredibly free. What do you think it was about your move to Washington, D.C. that really opened you up to kind of go through this more freeing experience? I I just kind of drew a line. I made a decision that since I didn't, I wasn't the one that was moving for a job, I had this chance. I had savings and I had this chance to um, really push myself to write. And I said, okay, you have have two months to, um, to start telling stories somehow. And, and so I started the 48, I, the first week that we moved to DC, there was a 48 hour film project. I immediately signed up. I called some friends from New York. They came down and we did it. And the film, people loved it so much, um, even though it was later disqualified because of like a, one of these technicalities, but people really liked it and it resonated with, and it was, it's a story about um, PTSD in military veterans. And it resonated. And so I realized, okay, I'm doing it. I'm actually doing what I said I should do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think I just, I just saw a window and I, I finally went to it. Yeah, I get that where you're like, okay, well, I don't have anything else right now. I might as well push myself and see this as an opportunity to go. Yeah. yeah. I'm and gl- there's this other element of um, just that one more thing is that I'm moving to another city for my husband, for my significant other. And 
as a woman, as a Latina woman, I feel like that's also something that's very sensitive to me. I, I had to think very hard about moving for someone else and uh, putting, feeling like I might be putting my career on hold as a filmmaker by moving from sort of the epicenter of, of indie film in New York to Washington, D.C. You, you have no choice. Either you start or, or that's it, or you're going to get a job at a spa and you're going to have to forget about your dreams and you don't want to do that, so start. And um, I felt like I really had to prove that, that that voice that was in the back of my head saying, you know, you're just, you're moving to another city for someone else, not for yourself. Uh, I had to prove that I can still do the thing that I love, no matter what. Right. I, I'm, I really... That really resonates with me because a, a very similar thing happened where I moved from New York to Cincinnati with my, he was then my fiance. And when we got back here, I had to just, I kind of got put in a position where it was like, am I going to just have an office job and figure out what that is like? Or am I going to see what else is out there for me? And it ended up opening up tons more opportunity that I, I don't think I would have gotten if I had stayed in New York. That makes a lot of sense. Congratulations. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> so getting into the some of maybe the more finer points of the script, which is uh, not that nice, which is, do we say, did we give a page number on this? Um, I think this is a, a 10 page with the cover page. Nine I believe that's pages right. total. Uh, and it's a story of a woman who was in a relationship and she had a cat, and she's lost the cat, and over the course of these pages, she's trying to find said cat, and she's got the help of, like, a, a little girl that lives in the neighborhood, basically. A little girl living beyond her years yes. is what I think of. This This little girl, Bella, mm-hmm. reminds me of the kind of kid you run into who's just got, like, giant eyes from dealing with and seeing the challenges of just being in the world, yeah, things that she shouldn't have to deal with, she's dealing with. And and the main character here as well, Karen, is very open with her about what she's doing and how she's doing it. And Bella's kind of tagging along in this little adventure to find the cat. Bella's got a great voice of with like one of those sort of wisdom from children kind of things where she says she's insightful and she's sort of it cuts right to the chase and cuts around a lot of Karen's maybe trying to massage the truth a little bit. Is there, where did that little relationship come from between the two of them of, of a child sort of really helping shape a, a grown-up's point of view on things? Um, I think that the it comes from my relationship with a lot of the kids in my life. I have about 10 nieces and nephews. I'm teaching karate to children three years old, where, where they come oh. group. And they know so much about the world. And um, and so I think it, it's a compilation. Bella is a, a compilation of people in my life, of myself as a child. And, and yeah, just wanting to, to capture the, the fact that so many times we think that kids aren't, aren't aware of, of the world around them and, and we really are paying attention. Right, and children are very dexterous where they have, um, they can deal with kind of heavy issues and not so heavy issues at the same time. Yeah. For example, Bella here, um, Karen asks her where her parents are and she says they got demoted and she means deported, but she's able to talk about that in kind of the same conversation as just like looking for a cat. So she, to us, it holds a lot more significance and a, a lot more mental weight, whereas for a child, it could hold huge emotional weight, and they just are very dexterous at being able to deal with these types of things all at the same time. 
Yeah, and I, I think that since since um, I wrote the script, I've gone through a lot of revisions, and there's even a few more moments that I've uh, contemplated adding where we just see a little bit more of, of where where Bella's coming from and how how she how the, her surroundings just kind of lead into her um, her thought process without her even knowing it and uh, and reveals itself throughout the story. We should probably get into a, a reading from the script so we can sort of introduce this uh, Karen-Bella relationship to people. Uh, Karen is out in the neighborhood looking for a cat, and Bella is helping her. And we're going to read scene five where Bella has crawled into a garage that they think this cat might be in. Is that is that a decent setup? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Do have Frank here with us for our scene reading. And just for clarification, Bella is a, a little girl, but... We don't we don't have any little girls to read for this part, so Jack's gonna read for it. Yeah, and I'll do it like I'll put a little bit of an affect on my voice, but I'm not gonna Yeah. I'm not gonna go like this. Nothing nothing to ruin the script. Right, right. <laughs> um I'll be reading for Karen and Frank will be doing stage directions for us. So Frank, take it away. Interior, garage, day. A beautiful chaos. Dust floats in the light beaming through the dusty windows. An old tricycle is hanging from the ceiling. A half finished wooden dollhouse sits atop a workbench. Bella bumps into a large toolbox and a large duffel bag full of rusted tools falls down. Intercut between yard and garage. You okay? Yeah. Karen relaxes and sits down leaning against the garage. My mom would be so mad if this was our garage. She says everything has its place, even people. Bella searches under the bench behind the cabinet. But my dad says that you make your place in the world. He also makes the best pancake. My aunt doesn't make pancakes. She makes arepas. She stops the stare at the dollhouse, picking up a tiny wooden cat. How'd Brian get out? Karen fidgets with her engagement ring for a moment, then finds a line of ants walking up the garage. She follows them. It was an accident. I opened the window to smoke, and James... We got into an argument, and I forgot to close it. Is he mad at you? I was mad at my dad when Fitz ran away. Mom said I could get a turtle, but then... Then I came to live with my aunt, and she's allergic. No one is allergic to turtles. Is he mad? Yes, but not about the cat. Why then? Karen hesitates. She finds the end of the ant line, or really it's the beginning. Bella puts down the cat and picks up two more dolls, a wooden mom and a wooden dad. I kiss somebody. Who? Just someone. On the lips? Karen shrugs. You cheated. Kathy, she's my reading partner. She says that's cheating and that grown-ups cheat a lot. Well, yeah, adults suck. Anyway, we broke up and now I have to find his cat. Bella holds on to the dolls, making them hop together from one surface to the next. Why'd you do it then? Kiss someone else? I don't know. Karen takes a deep breath. Kathy kissed Samuel R. and Samuel V. And they did not get mad at her. They gave her bracelets made out of dead leaves. And that was big of them. Bella crouches down from out of sight. In a corner of the garage, Bella peers under old sheets of plywood and stacked lumber. She puts the dolls in her pocket. Poking with her walking stick, she sees a tuft of fur. Forgetting her fear of being attacked, she lifts the piece of cardboard. It's a black and white cat. Lifeless. Bella stares. I let him out on purpose. Bella looks towards Karen's voice takes the wooden toys out of her pocket and looks at them. Why? Bella leans against the table and looks at Brian. 
I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I wanted to hurt him back. Brian? No, James. But you cheated. There were other things before the kiss. Smaller things. Things we didn't know were things. Like what? Karen breathes deeply, closing her eyes. Bella squeezes the toys in her hands and holds them to her face. She stands the little people next to Brian and covers them up with cardboard. She gets up and crawls back under the doggy door and finds Karen. And scene. I've got a question for you. She actually does find Brian the cat in this garage, right? And he's already yeah. dead? Yeah. Okay, good. We'll just jump on this. So Brian the cat is dead. And so as they're looking for this cat, what we haven't touched on here yet is that looking for a cat is a metaphor for salvaging her relationship. Mm-hmm. That Karen has cheated on her boyfriend. Right. And she let the cat out to basically get his attention and get him to come back to her. She, by trying to hurt him, it was a way for her to try to get his attention and see if he would he would bite, and he didn't do it. And so now, at the beginning of the script, the emotional tone here is that the character Karen is carrying this giant weight that she has hurt the person she loves in their relationship, but also she let his cat out. And so she's trying to repair a lot of damage by looking for the cat. And when she finds the cat, the cat's dead. And that is like, that is heartbreaking. That is not precious right? at all. It's like you maybe would want them to find the cat, and she does, but it's ugh, it's not a good omen for what's going to happen with that relationship. Right. Is that an act of kindness on Bella's part to not bring up the fact that she found the cat dead in the garage? I think, yeah, I think it really is. It was a couple of things. Maybe. I think that the act of Bella not telling her that found the cat and his dad is she she is trying to spare her feelings because she already sees that Karen is in a a really vulnerable place Uh, but I think it's also a moment where Bella realizes why things aren't so clear-cut in her life why um, maybe in that same moment why Karen even cheated in a way it's like it's a moment where she's also having to grow up and and, um, decide if she is going to kind of fall in line and and lie to someone to preserve their feelings. So it's, I think it's an act of kindness, but it's also her um, deciding that she, she's going to grow up now. Yeah. And and to Allison's point about this being a metaphor for the relationship, the fact that the cat is dead in the garage probably isn't the best omen, right? Uh, for the relationship to, between Karen and her uh, boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... Uh, I think that relationship was probably, you know, in terms of backstory, it was probably doomed from the start. I'm sure there were a bunch of signs that they both should have noticed. Um, and the fact that Karen has gone so far as to uh, get rid of his cat, his pet, uh, I think is the sign that she's pretty disturbed um, and that she probably isn't in a good place to even be in a relationship. So, yeah, I think the dead cat is kind of a, a moment where we hopefully she that she needs to probably be by herself for a while. <laughs> so in terms of backstory, how much have you worked up? Because I, I I sort of felt like this script could be a snippet of maybe a larger story, and I, I wasn't really sure maybe if it was more Karen's story or Bella's story. H- have you sort of worked out a more robust backstory or even something else happening after this? I have, and I, I haven't been so sure. Um, my producer originally said, no, don't write any more. Just this little piece is good enough. 
And um, so I went with that, but I started on my own writing a little bit of what I thought Bella's life was like. And so I have kind of another version of the script that might uh, might build on it, uh, where we see more of Bella's life and the story gets turned over a little bit more to, to Bella and her uh, what her home looks like and, and what her experience is like without her parents there um, to be a support. And so I feel like some of the things that I, I want to add or have considered and started to add are um, being inside of Bella's house and and uh, having her aunt. Um, so she's patching Bella's cape. So she can't buy her a new one, but she's just patching this old raggedy one and keeps uh, giving it back to her. And um, and so, yeah, I think that the, the, the things that I want to add are mostly about Bella's life. I could see that because, um, of course, I do think that the idea of her parents being deported is is definitely a lead in to like the rest of her experience as a person. That there's these the small exchange about her parents being demoted, uh, air quotes because it's deported, but that definitely is a nod to something else going on, and that the idea of deportation isn't explored in this story, but it it leads into what that could potentially be in a in a more expanded version yeah I, I think that that's one of the the things that I wasn't uh, that I really wanted to keep subtle and it's really not that subtle but as subtle as possible because in the end it's really a story about a child it's really just a story about a child um, having to grow up and that is pretty universal and um, especially in our current climate I feel like a lot of the audience would be able to fill in the blanks of, of her life. But I do think that this is, to me, what's exciting is that it opens the door to understanding her post-deportation story of, of the family family members that get um, left behind, even though they may be in a more prosperous position because they're um, in the United States where they have a few more opportunities. And so it seems like it should all be rainbows and um and just, you know, I don't know, marshmallows. But um, I recently worked on a documentary subtitling about a family that was deported to Honduras, but they had one son who was an American citizen and he had to stay. He's 12 years old, and um, it's a story about him trying to decide if he should go back to Honduras and live with them mm. um, or stay in the U.S. And and what a heavy decision just, a 12-year-old has to make doing that. It's incredible, and I, I think that the story of the actual the actual immigration issues are incredibly important, but I feel like the, to me, the, the easiest way to humanize that story and to make it more accessible is to talk about the, the you know, the ones that the children that seem like it should all be fine now because you get to stay, and yet it is yeah. fine, um, and it's not so easy, and it's not so cut and dry, which is why I think Bella is is starting to learn that. So yeah, I do. I, I would love to really start expanding the story and. I've been writing little notes here and there about little pieces that I think I want to add. Hopefully, I, I actually do that. Yeah, well, that's kind of your mission now is to, yeah. you know, actually dive into what's going on inside of you and put it out on paper. Adelina, yeah. do you feel like you relate more to Karen or to Bella in, in this story? <laughs> I think that um, that's really funny. Uh, I, I think that Karen is maybe a part of myself uh, from my early 20s where I, I never let someone's cat out of their house, but I certainly wasn't 
I'm always very self-aware. And I certainly did a lot of, you know, as we all do, feelings, and even when you don't intend to, and, and constantly kind of looking inward, you know, uh, Bella tells her that her family was deported, and, and she really doesn't know what to do with that. She doesn't know how to relate to that story. And she's kind of, uh, it's still kind of all about her in a way. Um, and so even though she's listening to Bella, she, 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 uh, she doesn't know how to talk to her about this. And so I feel like maybe Karen is a part of me from when I was younger, and Bella is, um, is somehow like this voice of, of reason in some way from someone else. I don't know who, <laughs> I don't think she's totally me, but I do think that um, she's maybe someone that I could aspire to in some way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because Bella's got certainly a pretty clear head on her shoulders, given the fact that she's interacting with this, you know, adult woman who is explaining how her relationship has fallen apart, and she sort of kicked this cat out, and now she's looking for it. And like, <laughs> Bella's got to be looking at her like, is is this what I have to look forward to? Or holy cow, let me take notes on what not to do. Yeah, I think Bella is definitely this uh, this voice of reason, this uh, consciousness that I think. We maybe all wish we had at some point when we were younger, making all the mistakes. You wish that that someone had kind of sh- uh, sh- uh, held a mirror up to to you. Um, so I do feel like that's Bella. So I don't know if I can relate to her, but I definitely feel like um, she's she's a voice that I'm really happy that I, I currently have. Yeah, there, you know, yeah. telling me what's really going on or being honest. Maybe is more what I should say. Yeah, I think that. Um one of the things that I love about this script is just the metaphor that is rampant. There's yeah. rampant, beautiful meta- metaphor, which leads to a lot of emotional depth. Mm-hmm. And one of the things based off of what we're talking about right now that I'm picking up is um, Bella is the more mature of the two currently. And Karen is not as much. And I think it's very special that Bella does not burst Karen's balloon by telling her about the dead cat. Right. But Karen tells her that, no one is allergic to turtles <laughs> and yeah. and destroys the fact that she had to get rid of her pet turtle that that it wasn't just that it wasn't convenience that grown-ups made a choice that she couldn't have a turtle and Karen just lays that out on the table yeah. to this little girl and ruins the fact that her pet got taken away from her that's true I didn't even think about right that. it stinks yeah. <laughs> speaking of it stinks and they talk about how turtles are stinky if the cat is maybe a relationship a metaphor for the relationship that karen had with her dude is this is the the turtle some kind of metaphor for a relationship bella's got at all um i think for me the turtle has really was really um just this it was kind of a metaphor for her family in a way it it was just this this one more thing that that she wasn't allowed to um, to keep with her, and for no real reason, and for a made-up reason, so, you know. And so I think that the the turtle is something that she kind of accepts, and she just says, "Oh yeah, my aunt was allergic to turtles, so I couldn't have one." And the reality is that's not that wasn't tr- probably wasn't true, and it's just one more way that um, she's kept in the dark and doesn't understand what's happening, yeah. and doesn't get to have the things that. Um, that she wants to have in her life and in the case of her parents that she should have. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's re- really a way of, of creating 
for me, it was a way of creating kind of a sweeter moment to talk about the same thing. Right. Metaphor. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, yep. it's, it's just one more loss for this poor girl. I who's. I mean, she has a heavy <laughs> hand from the beginning. Her Sheesh. parents are taken away. She's got this grown up woman running around just kind of being a bit selfish, a selfish example of yeah. the world. Or she finds a dead cat. Her turtle gets taken away. All kinds of. She, again, just has like, I'm imagining soulful eyes way beyond her years. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, how does so how do social issues and activism and living in Washington D.C. factor into your writing currently, or things that you're exploring currently? Well, this is something that I exploring social issues and social justice issues is something that I'm returning to. When I started in filmmaking, I was 15, and I joined this group called Global Action Project, this organization in Manhattan um, that that introduces the media media, um, and the use of media to tell stories to young people, teenagers, uh, 12-year-olds. I think the age range is between 9 and 18. And um, they took me to travel with them also in order to capture stories to make documentaries. And uh, that really resonated with me. The act of going out and telling someone else's story, someone who who doesn't have the resources to tell their own stories, um, and helping them get, get their voices heard, I thought was incredible. And... For a long time, I shied away from doing anything like that. Um, but as it turns out, I am now married to an asylum officer <laughs> who works wow. in um, immigration on a regular basis. And um, and we moved to Washington, D.C. And I felt like if there was any reason that this was actually happening, it's because I was, I was ready now to start telling the stories that really moved me which are the stories of, of um, the people from the neighborhoods that I grew up in, in the Bronx. Um, all of my my neighbors who had recently immigrated to, to the country and were living near me and that, who were my friends. And I felt like this is this is something that I want to tap into and talk about, uh, among other things. But uh, it's, really, it's really a return, kind of a homecoming for me. How does it feel? It feels... Um, in some ways, there's a little bit of guilt in not having done it sooner, uh, but it feels really exciting to um, to work again with the things that that have always had an impact and to tell someone about this short film. Um, I hear, I, I realize that this is something that matters to people, and I didn't necessarily set out to write a story about immigration when I wrote the story initially. She was, her parents were going through a divorce, and um, I, I started to just try and dig deeper and deeper into what was really happening to me, what I was really thinking about. Uh, so it feels like as much as uh, it's a story about social issues, it also feels like a really deep look into um, just the things that I have that matter to me a lot. So it's, it's incredibly, again, it's so liberating. Yeah, I can see that, that like you're providing a voice for the social issue that's very important to you now. It can be a good use of kind of those feelings that you have. And by good, I just mean productive, I think. Yeah. Well, and also, Adelina, this is very much about you also had talked about opening up and, you know, trying to tap into being honest as a creator and as as someone who wants to tell a story. And I think this is a this feels like a very logical step in that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really am glad that it, it's uh, starting to take 
take hold and take root and I'm glad that it resonates with you guys in some in some way you guys in some way because it's it is really scary for me, even though it's a, a social issue that is broader than my um, than my life. Um, I think that it's still it's hard to write about the things that you care about, not knowing if you're writing about them correctly, if you're right. telling the story in a way that people are going to feel it truly represents what's happening. Yep. And kind of at least I feel you have to throw your hands up and say this is this is the true story that I can write. This is my truth. Um, and so it's it's. As well as it is, as much as it is liberating, it's also very scary to tell someone else's story also right? Um, and try to tell it well. Man, I hear that. I get you. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, too, because I keep talking about how much of the metaphor I love in this script. Mm-hmm. And she does it even with language. Um, for example, you know, I've brought up a couple of times that Bella says that her parents got demoted. Mm-hmm. Well, and the reality is that they got deported. But the fact that, Adi Elena, you chose the word demoted as if they've gone down oh, a sure. notch in something is, like, very impactful. Yeah. That this girl is, like, potentially confusing the idea of her parents being sent away from the country with being a lesser citizen or yeah. a lesser person as well. Yeah, that, that's something that I really began to see in... in uh, some of the, the work that I, I was doing in other documentaries, just seeing that um, it's really easy for a child to internalize the way that adults around them talk about them and their families. And so um, I think that changing that word, I, I did think about it a lot. I, I kept thinking, like, is this even just too kitschy? Is it just too cute in, in a way that it shouldn't be? Um, but it's something that my, my experience teaching kids happens all the time, and, and often the words that the kids would exchange um, or interchange still had a meaning. They still had some sort of impact or some sort of serendipitous or, or um, odd coincidence to them. And I think that it's because our vocabulary, our, the way that we talk about, um, especially immigration, it affects children even though they're, they're very small and seem to be unaware. Of course the way society views your family informs how you view your own family. Yeah, of course. It, how, how could it not? Yeah. Well, and this is such a big part of what we like to do here on the show is have people on who have told these stories who are so uniquely suited to telling this story. Yeah. And, and this is I, this is a hand in glove right here for you, I feel like. <laughs> Thank you. You know, honestly, when uh, I thought, you know, I wonder if, if, uh, if I am the right person to tell this story, um, but I think that's part of what I've learned as a writer is that uh, I think um, Amy also quoted Vicki King or, or mentioned Vicki King's book. And even though I've never written a, a movie in 21 days, the way that that book uh, suggests that you can, um, Vicki King does say something in her book about making a movie in 21 days where she says part of screenwriting is you just make decisions, you just make decisions the way you do in your everyday life. And... Um, you make one decision after the other and even the decision to to telling a story even if you don't know how truthful you can be or, or how um, perfectly you can tell the story you just have to begin and then once it's over then you can decide um, if it is if it needs to be fixed if it needs to be edited if it needs to be reworked um, but you, you just have to finish it first so now that it's done <laughs> I feel really glad and I, I feel like I can look at it and say you know all those doubts I had in my head about am I the right person to tell this story um, I feel 
I feel good about it. I feel like I am the right person to tell well, the story this way. That's great. When you reference Amy, of course, that's Amy McCorkle, our guest from uh, episode 38, who wrote the script Rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. Yes, she was. So you brought up that you have a producer who's been working with you on this. Are you guys in pre-production, production, post-production on this project? I, we are actually in going into pre-production now. I, I just finished uh, the kind of very final script, and I'm holding auditions in a couple of weekends in Washington, D.C., and I held auditions a few last month in New York, and I, I've been looking for the right kid. Yeah, because it, it all hinges on that, right? There's so much there. Yeah. You need this kid to sell it. It all hinges on this one, this this person, this child's face, and um, and I envision the film in so many close-ups and, and being really yeah. tight with this relationship between Bella and Karen. And so um, I saw tons of great kids that were wonderful, and I just I still didn't find the spark mm-hmm. for this particular story. And so um, we're holding auditions in a couple of weeks. Washington DC and we are uh, having our first production meeting next week um, and we're starting the crew up and starting location scouting also kind of in tandem with the, with the casting um, so it's all starting to, to take form now and move in the direction that I've been thinking about for the last year <laughs> it's very exciting um, if you don't mind me asking what what budget range are you thinking that this project will probably undertake well, kind of my producer is hoping that we keep it, um, including uh, color correction and audio sweetening, we'd come out to about $7,000. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's probably cutting a few corners. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, fortunately, as, a, as I've been producing also for the last couple of years, uh, producing other people's short films, and I have. I've learned to get a little bit savvy and try to get sponsors wherever possible to get food and things like that. So it might be possible. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Sh- I'm totally sure it is. How many? How many days are you expecting to shoot? Uh, I think the hope is that we will be filming over the course of a, a long weekend, a three-day weekend, maybe. Cool. Um, so we probably would do three days. And uh, a lot of my films, a lot of the things I've worked on, are with kids, and so whereas maybe a two-character film that takes place in in a you know less than an hour and has maybe two locations should take no more than a day or two. (laughs) When you work with kids, I've learned that you really have to overestimate. Mm -hmm. So we added a third day to our schedule. That's smart. And you're looking to film this, this year? Yeah, we are actually with the plan is to be filming at the end of September. Great. Yeah. That's so exciting. That's super cool. Yeah. You're right in the thick of it then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're just getting, we're just revving our engines up now, um, and and so hopefully we we've already auditioned for Karen, and we have two really strong um, contenders that I'm excited about. That one of them actually made me cry in her audition, oh. which I didn't know this this script would do. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, do you think it was because it was kind of hearkening back to maybe some regrets you have about your past, or do you think it was really the social issues that were hitting you the hardest? Um, I think it was the relationship, honestly, because the social issue is, is huge, it's massive. But in many ways, it's, it's difficult to reach in and find the, the heart, the you know, heartbeat, like we were mentioning earlier. Um, and so it really, I think it really hinges on the relationship between Stella and Karen and realizing that something is kind of blossomed uh, between them in that last, last few moments. 
And so it was really pretty magical. We, we had about 30 people play the role of Karen. And it was, uh, I think, like the 28th person that walked in that I just, I felt wow. like tears were coming on. And I, I had no idea yeah. that was possible. So yeah. I, I really do think that uh, it's the relationship that brings it about. I also feel like that's got to be a very specific reaction to have if you are the person who wrote this and you're so familiar with the words and the way that you sort of see these relationships and inflection and all that stuff. And then for someone to come in and knock you off your feet like that, that's got to be a really unique feeling. Yeah, honestly, I've never felt that before. I've held a few auditions um, for for films that I have had um, maybe a a little bit less emotional investment in as far as, as feeling like I was exposing a part of myself and yeah, 27 people read for Karen. They were, they all read the same lines and we thought, Oh, she's great. And she's great. And she's great. Yeah. And then uh, this one person walked in and I thought, Oh, I don't know. Actually, she doesn't look like the way I thought Karen would look. And then she started reading and there was something in her eyes. It felt like she understood what was happening in this relationship. And um, yeah, and it took me to different places a little bit. Uh, overwhelming, actually, and so um, yeah, that was incredibly exciting. Yeah, I think that's super cool. I do too. I mean, just because, especially like when you have the actors step in and take the words and take the feelings on, at all this time that you've put into this, it's coming to life mm-hmm. now. It's living now. Yeah, it's it's really wild to also kind of be willing to to let it go a little bit. Let, you know, let the baby grow up because it's been living in your head for so long. And, and I've had a lot of people read just so that I can kind of figure out if my lines were actually hitting the right note. Um, and I've done a, a few readings. But now that it's done and the actors are starting to, to bring the, the final words uh, breathe life into them, it, it feels yeah, it feels almost <laughs> amazing. It's just something that you don't realize sometimes that, like I wrote this play once in high school that was a brooding drama, a very existential crisis. And, and when the actors actually performed it, um, we professional actors off, off Broadway, uh, the, the whole audience was roaring in laughter. Oh no. And it was a totally different play without them having changed a single word. Wow. Holy cow. Deliveries. Wow. <laughs> oh man. Well, and that's the whole thing, right? Tragedy and comedy are so close together. Yeah, exactly. And from that moment, I realized that at some point you you write as much as is true to you, but um, it's also really fair to let your actors um, bring in their own stories, their own wisdom, their own experiences into the, the, the character. And I think those actors are the ones that I connect the most with when they're able to invest into the in, in the character and make it their own, whether, whether it's different from what I thought it would be or not. Um, it's actually always me really refreshing when they surprise me and I realize that this character maybe she actually isn't sarcastic and maybe she isn't self-centered maybe it's something else and so that's one of my favorite parts about doing auditions is that I learned so much about my characters even as early as the audition room yeah yeah I can see that that's just super like cool. it's incredible yeah like I'm just imagining the feeling of Adi Elena watching the auditions of someone doing her words and it's like 
Now I'm Adia Laneo watching so many different things and it's just like blowing my mind over here. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's going real inception on us here. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So if there are people who are listening and it's because you are right now in pre-production and you're looking to maybe find uh, some money to inject in this thing to make it happen and to make it as good as you want it to be and as good as it deserves to be, if someone wanted to get in touch with you directly, what, what's the uh, best way they could do that? Oh, that would be amazing. Uh, so my email is probably one of the easiest ones. And uh, I have I made an email that was even easier because I have quite a long name. Um, and that's adialina at gmail.com, A-D-I-E-L-E-N-A-H at gmail.com. And uh, one of the, I guess, avenues that I use the most to communicate my ideas, stories, uh, film, works, and things like that is Instagram. And my Instagram is there was a time. Ah, there we go. That's cool. Yeah. There was a time. <laughs> and as, as we've got your stuff posted on uh, scriptshopshow.com, there will definitely be uh, the ability for somebody to contact you through that. That would be great. And also, I guess if anyone wanted to see any of the films that we've worked on in the recent past, um, my portfolio is Perez at strikingly.com. Cool. Great. That's great. Thank you so much for taking this bus time yeah. to sit and talk with us about your incredible work. How's I'm, your, I'm so sorry, how, no, how's your, I want to know how the seatmate's doing. How, how's the, how's your neighbor doing in the chair? I think, I think we're doing okay. Okay. You don't want to say That's anything because he's listening right now. So, so. <laughs> Didn't even know he's part of it. All right. Well, tell him what's up for me. Adelina, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Um, thank you. I feel even like more inspired to continue writing after talking to you guys. Thank you. Awesome. You are welcome. Yay. It's our pleasure. There we go. That's our first bus interview. I want her to be my friend. Yeah. She is cool. She's great. She's riding a bus. I wanted to ask if it was the Greyhound or if it was the renowned Chinatown bus. Do you want to get her back on real quick no, and ask her? No, no, no. It's not important. I was just thinking <laughs> about that. Well, and if you are Greyhound out there, if you were maybe if there, if you were a sponsor, we would just sort of default. Some, say well, yeah, we would, we, we would. Just but that was the Greyhound. Well, sure. I was just thinking too that if she is on a Greyhound bus, she could contact Greyhound and say, "Listen, I'm talking about my big script on your bus. It's a mm-hmm. place to conduct your business affairs. Sponsor me. That's in a my great ad movie. campaign for sure. <laughs> conduct your business on the Greyhound bus. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, but she, but I mean, she is incredible. She's um, a producer, a director, a writer. She started her, I don't know if she's a director, actually. I think I just made that up, but she's got some ideas. She's doing stuff. She's doing stuff. She flipped the script on her life by moving to D.C. for this dude, even though, like she says, maybe culturally it's a little bit different. She had to really think about what she wanted. Mm -hmm. She is a social activist, and uh, she works with children, which is great. It seems like she has a really nice... An interesting perspective on how children can affect grownups as well. Well, and I really respect the idea of maybe being in a situation that's not of your design, but then taking that moment and being like, okay, I'm going to seize this opportunity and turn it into something for myself. I think that's outstanding. I do too. And plus, I love scripts that are full of metaphor, and this one has it all over it. So, And you should read it definitely for sure on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. And I also just wanted to say it's actually 11 pages, including a cover page, because mm. we, I think, earlier said it was 10, and it's 11. If you have written something that is 10 pages, that is 11 pages, that is 25, <laughs> that is 111, that's 115. 400. Well. <laughs> Use the hashtag hot burrito when uh, you submit it. 
Try to use a little bit of discretion here. All right? if, if you have written some 400-page opus that edit. you're desperate to get into edit, our hands. Please edit, 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 yeah. edit, edit it, and then send it to us. Yeah, kill your darlings. And then go, go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit and get it to us. And we can't wait to read it. So get it right in. We want to talk to you about all the metaphor in your script and where that came from out of your real life. And you can also connect with us on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. We are all uh, Script Shop Show is our name there. And uh, Allison is at... Your Bestie Westie on, on Twitter. And I am at Script Shop Jack on Twitter as well. And uh, get on there to talk with us. Jack's better at it than I am, but I'm getting better you're fine by you're, the week. You can you can stop selling yourself short on it now. You're fine. Uh, did I get there? Yeah, you're there. Okay, sweet. It's not that hard to get to. You're okay. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on Twitter. You're good on Twitter. My Twitter game is on point. Eh, that's not important. Anyway, Patreon, get on there. Give us some money. Script Shop Show. Yeah, why not? Leave us a review. iTunes, Instagram. You can't leave reviews on Instagram. We well, can leave comments on Instagram, right? Yeah, well, if we take a really sweet picture. What if somebody like wrote out a review, took a picture of it, and then put it on Instagram? That's for a, us? that. You, we, we, we'd be IG famous. That would be very cool. Special thanks to Adelena Perez for coming on the show. You should really read her script. She was great. And uh, until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.